Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching. Good to see you all here this morning. My name is Tom, if I failed to introduce myself to you, and it's great to have you here t- this morning. Hey, have you ever fallen down right in the middle of an open road? No? Dean and I were out mushroom hunting this summer. I say mushroom hunting because there wasn't any picking going on. There's Dean. Dean, I didn't ask your permission to show you, but you're far enough away that it could have been almost anyone standing there in the bush. We were out there uh, somewhere up Blaze Creek area, stumbling around, and Dean insisted on going miles and miles and miles straight up the most rugged terrain you've ever seen. (laughs) Or at least it felt like miles and miles to me anyway. A very rough footing. We're going through burned out sections, you know, right where the mushrooms are supposed to be, right? Utterly devoid of all morels. I think Gavin had been there before me and stripped it bare. And anyway, we looked up ahead and we're like, oh, there's a road up there. There's going to be a nice logging road up there. And so we puffed our ways up to the last sort of ascent and stumbled onto this great looking road. Except what looks good can be deceiving. The road seems solid. You can see bulldozer tracks all over it. I mean, if a bulldozer can be on this road, then it's all good, right? Right? Not right. Not right at all, in fact. We tried to walk on it, and immediately something uh, was wrong. We'd walk forward with confidence, and then we just kept falling through the road, you know? I thought maybe Dean had found certain mushrooms that he'd been hiding from me. But no, this seemingly solid road was caving all over the place, sometimes taking us down to our knees, and Dean and I are stumbling around like two drunk guys in the bush. Finally, we stood there for a while, but then we got back off the road and found firmer footing by heading straight back down the hill on some of the roughest ground around. You know, speaking of roads not being solid, last week Jody McBlain, or a couple weeks ago, Jody McBlain was out getting some wood with Gavin. Take a look at this picture. He found out that uh, what looked like a solid road is not so... He didn't tilt the camera. You see that, you know? For those on the podcast, we're looking at a truck about halfway over, very, very stuck. Now, Jody did what any red-blooded male would do, right? He hit it as hard as he possibly could. So it was good and stuck by the time they were done. Um, not one, but two trucks were required to pull them out after offloading most of the wood. <laughs> Sometimes shaky footing, soft ground leads us to skinned knees and I think probably dented trucks too. Now I know this, because I know a lot of our stories, that sometimes it can feel like life is like that, where things that felt solid suddenly aren't. Life can feel like a jumble of broken roads, with all the dents and the blood and the dirt uh, to prove it. We can be cruising along, reasonably sure of our footing, and all of a sudden, we're falling down. The ground is going soft beneath our feet. Maybe a kid gets sick. And you feel like your whole world is falling down. Maybe a spouse withdraws and you don't know why. Maybe you start hearing notice that there could be layoffs or, or, or loss of work. And this is the work you train for. And now you don't know what you're going to do. 
Or maybe you just feel, you feel like depression is dogging your heels again when you've been free and clear for a while. Maybe you aren't, just aren't sure anymore of the things you used to be sure about, whether that was the strength of your own family, whether that was the trustworthiness of friends, or whether that was even the love of God himself. Or maybe it's not that personal for you. Maybe, maybe it's just, you know, we've been having this conversation as a church as we've been going through the book of Acts. We've been this conversation about our call to be witnesses to Jesus. And that feels daunting or confusing to you. We're supposed to help people find and follow Jesus, but, but the people around you seem a whole lot more interested in their kids or their work or their hobbies or just plain old, you know, gossip about the neighbor than having any kind of faith conversation. And let's be honest, if they really wanted to have a faith conversation, you're not entirely convinced you're the person they should be having it with. Life can be a jumbled mess. I think that's just true. And yet, Jesus waves us on, invites us to follow him, shows us where to place our feet so that we can follow him with confidence, even in the midst of what can be very uncertain, very difficult. Because we can have confidence. I want you to hear me. I don't mean bravado. I don't mean arrogance or a willful denial of reality. I don't mean that we turn a blind eye to difficulty or we just... Smile and act like everything's going fine when things aren't going fine. When I say we can have confidence, I mean that we can have a centered trust in God's overcoming grace. So that when things are going on in our lives, they're not throwing us around the way they used to. How can we do that? How can we find that kind of firm footing? We need to find traction, stability in God's overcoming grace. We need to actually anchor ourselves deep in the story of what God has done in Jesus. What he did in Jesus just to get to us, but also perhaps surprisingly, we also find firm footing when we begin to see that God is still at work, that he's still doing this, and that actually in us and through us, he's not only not only deepening his grace in us, but he's extending his grace to others. And we discover that today in our, in our Acts story. We're reading from Acts chapter 3, starting verse 11 and going into the early part of chapter 4. It follows up last week's story. It's actually Peter's short explanation of something that just happened. Uh, just like Peter's first message in the day of Pentecost, we looked at that a few weeks ago, um, where he, he's explaining what God has done. It's actually the same thing here in Acts chapter 3. The second speech is given now to explain another thing that God has done, and people are wondering what had happened. Now, some of you were here last week. Many of you weren't. That's cool. Last week, Peter and John are heading up to the temple to pray, about mid-afternoon. And a lame man hits them up for cash. And Peter looks at this guy, and I, I think through the Holy Spirit's leadership, immediately knows that it's not money that he needs. And so in the name of Jesus, Peter reaches out and grabs this guy and tells him to stand up. And miraculously, through the power of Jesus, this man was healed. And he went wild. He's leaping and he's dancing and he's praising God and he's bouncing along. Peter and John, as they continue their way into the temple, he was making quite a scene. Wow, people were praying. And uh, people look up, right? Whoa, what is going on? And they instantly recognize, that's the guy who hit me up last week. I just saw him up front. 
He's the guy who's been lame all these years and every day like clockwork. There he was waiting for the cash. What could this mean? And they can't put it together. Well, Peter is going to help them put it together by pointing them all to Jesus. Remember how witness unfolds in Acts? We've seen this pattern. We're going to see it over and over again. God works. People wonder. And then the church witnesses. They bring it together. God works. People wonder. And the church witnesses. And so it's a replay in that sense of Pentecost where Peter now steps up to point everyone who's wondering what's gone on. He wants to point them to the resurrected Jesus Christ and call them to follow him. As always, true Christian witness always helps people see Jesus clearly so they can respond to him concretely. It doesn't always mean they, they, they go after Jesus, but at least they see him clearly so they can respond concretely. That's what true Christian witness is all about. Well, in his talk today, which we'll get to, Peter gets super tight about one thing. That God's grace overcomes sin and sin's effects. Sin defined as ways that we have missed the mark, ways that we have forgotten or rejected God's ways, ways that we have messed our lives up by not following what God has told us and how he's told us to live. In fact, what we discover in this talk, that God not only overcomes everything that keeps us from Jesus, but that through Jesus, God sets a trajectory for the total restoration of all creation. Friends, I want you to hear today that the firmest footing we have is God's overcoming grace. We already heard this when we read Psalm 46 in our worship time, in our singing. We heard it, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way. Hear that? Though there is footing and, and, and problems, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, we will not fear. Well, let's hear how Peter gives us this firmer footing. Acts chapter 3, starting with verse 11 and into chapter 4. And if you have it on your phone or Bible, follow along. But I'm going to read it so you can listen. Here it is. So while the man held on to Peter and John, this is the man who was healed, who's been bouncing, praising God and walking around. He'd been lame. All the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, People of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power and godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. And you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be, re- be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. In Jesus' name, in the faith that comes through him, that is what has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come 
from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from the people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. The priests and the captains of the temple guard and the Sadducees, those are the dudes that ran the temple, they came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the prophets were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Side note, Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They had fights with Jesus over this before he died and rose again. And now his followers are saying he rose again and telling everybody else they can. Really greatly disturbed them, as he say. All right, so they seized Peter and John. And because it was evening, they put him in jail till the next day. But many who heard the message believed. And the number of believers grew to about 5,000. Remember at the end of Pentecost, just a few days before, it was 3,000? So somewhere in the intervening time, and now to this day, it's grown another 2,000. See what Peter does here? He speaks the truth in love. He confronts the people with who Jesus is so they can respond to him. And there's a ton in this message that we could unpack. We could spend all day tracing stuff down and going through it. I just want to hone in on what God overcame through Jesus for us. Because not only is this the greatest thing in the world, but it's, it's what gives us the firm footing that we need. In Peter's talk, he goes off on all these different ways that's scattered throughout how God's grace overcame through Jesus. And each one of those things gives us firmer and firmer footing. I gathered it all into three groups so that we would, you know, well, you didn't want a 15-point sermon, did you? I'm going to sneak it in under three points. There we go. The first thing we hear with crystal clarity is that through Jesus, God overcame sin. Do you see that repeated all through the talk of Peter's? He hits the crowd pretty hard. I mean, that's quite an opening line, uh, you know, opening barrage. Your God, the God of our fathers, sent the very servant, the very prophet that your scriptures said he would send, and you did what? You know, you did, tell me, what? You killed him. You disowned him. You asked for a murderer to be swapped out in his place. This is craziness. It's hard hitting. Very direct. It confronts them with the truth of, of what they've done, but that is not where the story ends. Instead of condemning them, because it's powerful language, Peter is working fast to get to the good news. You killed Jesus, but ta-da! God raised them from the dead! Yeah. Your sin, grievous and tragic and stupid and gross, it could not have the last word. God overcame sin and raised Jesus from the dead. And what's more, 
God is so gracious and so merciful and so amazingly kind that He doesn't hold any of that to your account. His overcoming grace and Jesus says, I know you were clueless. I know you didn't know what was going on. I know you were stupid. You were totally unaware of what was actually happening. Remember as Jesus was dying on the cross, He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus and the Father have the same heart. And here we see it. The Father's saying, it's no problem. I got it covered. Look what I did. I'm not holding this evil against you. Come on back and be forgiven by the very Jesus you killed. Well, that's good news, folks. And then, what's more, Peter is quick to point out, God didn't just overcome their sin. He didn't just hurdle it. He didn't just, you know, deal with it by, okay, I'm going to forgive you. But Jesus says, or Peter says that God is even more resourceful and wise than that. God actually used their sin. He used the evil to then fulfill the very prophecies that he had given through his prophets about the Messiah, that he would suffer, that he would die, that he would rise. When we really get down to what God did through Jesus, we realize this very life-changing truth. That sin and evil and ignorance and stupidity, as difficult as they can be, as destructive as they can be, they're actually not problems for God. Not only has He overcome them in Christ, but amazingly, in sort of an ultimate cosmic divine judo move, God is able to use those very things for His good purposes. He's able to use the things that would have destroyed us and he uses them to affect our full salvation. This is God at work. How many of you can look back at your own life, can point out areas where you messed up, where you were stupid, where you, you, know, you look and you kind of feel a blush of shame still, and yet acknowledge that God has used them to your advantage, that God has turned that for your good. And even in those places where you can't see it yet, we can have confidence because when we look at the whole story, we can know that even if we haven't seen it yet, He will. That's the kind of God that He is. Marshall, that's the kind of God He is. Yeah. He usually cries. Through Jesus, God brings total freedom from sin, freedom from punishment, freedom, freedom from a life under righteous judgment, freedom from the slavery that comes from rejecting God's grace in our life. That's freedom from a lot. But he also brings freedom to live under God's grace, freedom to experience his Holy Spirit living in us, the freedom to experience the renewal of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and our minds, in our relationships, the freedom to become more and more like Jesus in our words, in our actions. God's grace overcomes human sin, always. Second, Peter is quick to point out and all through, through Jesus, God overcame sin's effects. You know, the first thing in the story is kind of obvious, if we think about it, is that God brings healing to this one man's body. And that's how this whole story gets kicked off. This is, this is the thing that God does that the people are then wondering about and then Peter witnesses. And the healing of this man is like the tip of the spear. It's pointing people to God's ultimate plan to bring total restoration through Jesus. The healing of this one man points to God's intention to nullify 
all of sin's effects. That's why these healings are called signs. They point to something beyond themselves. They point to something greater. And this leaping, praising, healed man, he becomes a living preview of God's overcoming grace. A little taste of what's to come for all, for everyone, because of Jesus' death and resurrection. But when Peter steps up to explain the healing, he goes right to the, the main point. He says, through God, through Jesus, God overcame the most devastating effect of sin of all. Uh, death itself. Death itself has been overcome. Because as we hear in the scriptures, as we see in our own lives, we see through history, the result of sin is death. Spiritual death. Relational death. You think of what, what causes the breakdown in families or in marriages or in countries. You think about the things that are going wrong in our own lives and you can trace that down to not necessarily personal sin. I don't want to say that. But sin's effects. The death that we experience. But sometimes we can also trace it to our own sin. Death, even our own physical death, that we all face is something that nobody could solve. People tried to solve it. People dreamed about it. People theorized about maybe we come back. And you know, But people still died. We all died. Everyone died. Every single last one of them, no matter what they tried, they died. No one could crack death until now. God overcame death in Jesus. Because remember, if God were not gracious, he could have said, by the way, I rose him from the dead and you, tr- you are in trouble. Right? That could have been the response. And in many ways, a lot of us, if it weren't us standing there in the firing line, we would have said, yeah, give it to them, you know. They deserve it. Until we realize we're in the firing line too. But that's not the response. What we, the breaking news we receive, the breaking good news is that God overcame that death for us, for the very people who had caused it. While we were still sinners, God died for us. Jesus died for us. And in fact, what God did for Jesus in raising Him from the dead, He now promises to do for us. The good news, the gospel of Jesus, is that death no longer has its power over us because God has overcome death itself. And friends, isn't this where things start to make sense? Isn't this where we start to find footing at least when, when life really is tough, when all the junk pours in and the heartache, we repeat it over and over again. All those things that are related to sin and sin's effects, one way or another, if we think of all those areas, we begin to see the truth that God has overcome sin's effects through Jesus. And though we still experience the trials and difficulties, the health struggles, the mental struggles, the relational struggles that are related to that, we can find firm footing in knowing that God has done it in Jesus. The good news that rolls out from there, Peter calls them to accept God's gracious forgiveness, to come to Him for full refreshing, which is an invitation to receive the Holy Spirit. It's so amazing God is welcoming back the very people that rejected his son. But then Peter points them all and points us to the most wonderful promise in all of Scripture. You know, Jesus died and rose again. He spent these days with about 500 chosen witnesses, saw him, talked to him, ate with him, touched him. He's really, really alive. And then he ascended into heaven. And heaven, we've got to remember because we care a lot of weird ideas about heaven, it's not some place far away we float off when we die. It's the place where God reigns. And Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, reigning and ruling. 
And so we're told, and we're told this all through Scripture, that though he's gone now, physically he sent his Holy Spirit to continue his overcoming work. And the work that God is doing, that the Holy Spirit is working toward, is what Peter says, is the time when the time comes for God to restore everything. Now, this might be a phrase that's sort of tucked away at the end in, in Peter's message. There's a lot going on, so it doesn't maybe get noticed. But it's filled up with so much power and so much promise. And it's this promise, I believe, that gives us the truly firm footing, even when we're really struggling with what's going on around us, with what's going on in our lives. It becomes an ultimate reference point. You know what I think of the song, I'll Fly Away, right? Some of you know. And the point there is that we're looking forward to not flying away like souls escaping the bodily and all this crazy stuff. Rather, we're pointing, Jesus is pointing us toward the ultimate reference, which is the restoration and the resurrection, the new heavens and the new earth. And it helps us understand where we are now, what God is doing, and how we are to live in the power of the Holy Spirit toward that plan. The promise of God, the sure promise of God that we can hold on to is that he will completely restore all things and it puts our current difficulties, as difficult and hard and gut-wrenching as they are, it puts them in a different context. It puts them in the light of his ultimate plan. We live between the time when God overcame all death through Christ and the time when he will fully restore all things in Christ. As I've talked through the summer, we live in that overlap between the resurrection of Jesus and the restoration of all things, which includes our own resurrection. We live in this overlap where we still experience the effects of sin and destruction and decay, which, which touches all the areas of our lives, but is not the ultimate truth about our lives. You see, if we aren't careful, we can let those effects, we can let the things that we're seeing and experiencing around us, we can let it fool us. We can let it be the world that has pulled over our eyes to, you know, shield us from the truth, to quote the Matrix. I don't know where that came from. That wasn't in my notes. But we can let the distractions and the struggles be pulled over our eyes and we begin to think, maybe God hasn't beat death after all. Like maybe the struggle really is the, the, the final story. Uh, maybe this, 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 this relational breakdown or maybe this physical struggle, maybe that really is all there is. And we can begin to think, well, maybe there's not really a lot of hope. We can think maybe sin is too powerful for God. And that makes the ground under our feet very soft indeed. But here's the thing. We can actually know with real confidence, we can look to Jesus and know with confidence that death and destruction has been served its final notice in Christ. His resurrection from the dead dealt a death blow to death itself. And that death blow has sent rippling shockwaves all throughout history. And it's transforming people's lives and it's promising them that God's restoration is coming. The trajectory of everything has changed. Through Jesus and by the Holy Spirit, God our Father is working out his plan of total restoration. And surprisingly enough, he's doing it in partnership with us. And this is perhaps one of the most shocking things. Not only that he works in our own lives to heal and to restore and to bring a bit of new creation into us by the Holy Spirit, 
But he's also sharing the good news about what Jesus has done. He's sharing that through us. This is what Peter does at the very last part of his message. He brings them all the way back to the original promise of God, the original covenant that God made with Abraham. He reaches all the way back to Genesis 12. You might remember if you're familiar with the story. If you're not, it's okay. The first 11 chapters of Genesis tells us that humans have made a huge mess out of a creation that was very good. And out of that mess... In chapter 12 of Genesis, God chose one family, the family of Abraham, and he promised to bless them so that the whole world could be blessed through them. And as we discover, through one of their kids. Well, to collapse a very big story into a very brief statement, that promised kid, that offspring, the child of the family who was destined for the blessing of the whole world, that kid is Jesus. Jesus comes as a descendant of Abraham and he comes to bring blessing to the whole world. He fulfills the destiny of that family for the sake of everyone else. And as the story rolls out, Jesus calls people to follow him, to become part of his family so that they who are part of his family can then take on the family blessing business. That's the story of Acts, actually, and it's our story. That everyone who repents, everyone who turns around and says, I believe, I see, I'm going to follow Jesus, faulting, yes, stumbling, yes, but I'm going to orient my life around Jesus and what God has done through him to defeat death, to defeat sin, to defeat sin's effects. I'm going to follow him. We find ourselves part of the family, commissioned by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us to then bless the whole world with the news of what Jesus has done. The news that he rose from the dead, that he's making all things new, that sin and death and heartache and struggle has been overcome in Jesus, does not have the final word. And we can actually get in on the restoration that he's bringing. We get in on part of it now, but we get in on it all in the end. God's grace overcomes always. That's the firm footing that we need. So let me ask you as we get toward closing, what is making you feel unsure these days? Like, what is it in your life? What, what particular area of struggle? Is there, is there, is there struggles with things you've been thinking about? Is, is there a relationship that is really rocking your world? Is it, is it the election tomorrow? Is that what's making your life feel unsure? What is it for you? Is it some kind of disappointment that you're carrying? Can you identify a particular area that has been gutting your confidence? where you need to bring that to Jesus and say, I need to refocus what I'm thinking about, what I'm relying on, where I'm getting my confidence from, and I need to anchor that in what God has done in you, Jesus. Because that's the invitation for us. He's inviting us to place our feet firmly on His work, firmly on what He has done in Christ. And He's going to see it through. He's not going to let anything stand in the way of his plan of total restoration. Because there's one more thing in this story. Not only has God overcome sin in Christ, not only has he overcome the effects of sin through Christ, but this good news message of what he has done for the world, it's totally unstoppable. And that's actually the third way we see God's grace overcoming in this story. Because by the Holy Spirit, God's grace overcomes resistance, persecution, The message of the church that resurrection is now available in Christ greatly disturbed, as we saw in the story, the powers that be. They did not want people hearing that story. We're going to hear more about how that rolls out 
and how the disciples respond. We're going to hear more next week when Peter Hambry shares the rest of the story with us. I'll be away speaking in Alberta um, next weekend, and Peter is going to continue the story. We've met, and he's got some terrific stuff to offer and, and, and encourage us with. But for now, I want you to see this. Nothing can put a stop to this message of God's overcoming grace. Peter and John haul off to jail for the night. But what's the result of that? Many who heard the message believed. The number was up to 5,000 by the end of that day. God just keeps growing his church. And we've seen this happen all throughout history. When there's an attempt to smack down the church, guess what happens? In the word of one theologian, it's like blowing on the head of a dead dandelion to try to stop it from spreading. You might feel like the ground has been shifting underneath your feet because of personal difficulty. It might be because of what's going on around you. It might, you might be intimidated by your witness. But hear this today. There's nothing. There's no situation. There's no struggle. As difficult and as real and as hard as it is, there's no plan for ill. There's no sin you've committed. No plot that's being hatched that God's grace has not already, not already taken into full account. And through Jesus has overcome. And we've got to get this deep down in our bones, especially in those times when we are really being thrown around by the difficulties that we're experiencing, by sickness or hurt or sin or death itself. You need to know this. We need to know this. God's grace overcomes always, always. Read famous passage in Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's grace overcomes always. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. We're going to offer a benediction song and invite you into that. This week as I was preparing this, I don't know, the Holy Spirit prompted Dan to send me a video of, of, uh, to, to encourage me. I, I assume I didn't specifically ask Dan why he sent it to me. But he sent it to me at just the right time because it, it really provides a beautiful benediction for us as a church to sing about God's sovereignty, God's overcoming grace. That if our sovereign Lord can overcome all of this, all the things that are mentioned here, from death to life, angels, demons, present, future, powers, height, depth, anything else in all creation, if he can overcome that, if he can overcome sin and sin's effects, can we, honestly, can we come up with anything in our own lives, in our own world that he's not able to overcome, that he's not able to incorporate, turn over, even use for our good and restore? There is nothing. So as we sing this last song, I invite you to give whatever it is in your life that you've been struggling with and find firmer footing in what God has done in Jesus. Sovereign in the mountain air Sovereign on the ocean floor With me in the calm With me in the storm Sovereign in my greatest joy Sovereign
Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey, whether you're finding Jesus for the first time or you have been following him for years. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by what you heard today? We invite you to share this podcast so they can be encouraged too. For more information or to ask more questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for the Erickson Covenant Church.